Welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop, the podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Steve Gossler. And I am Jordan Tynes. Welcome to Designer Deep Dive, where we sit down and talk to a designer of tabletop experiences. We're going outside of the board game genre or medium format Mm -hmm. today and talking about role-playing games. That's right. So we are joined today by Banana Chan. They are an award-winning experienced designer, writer, and publisher. Banana is the owner of Game in a Curry, which is a small board game uh, and RPG publishing company, and has designed games such as Blood in the Banquet Hall, uh, along, which was designed along with Senfum Lim, which listeners of the show will be familiar with, uh, as well as Questlings RPG and the forthcoming Suburban Consumption of the Monstrous, which is an, uh, sort of a LARP thing, I think, right? Very or exciting. Sort of, it's both LARP and RPG. Uh, they've also contributed writing and design to titles such as Dune, Adventures in the Imperium, Ben Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, and many, many more that I didn't list here. Uh, but well, welcome to the pod, Banana. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled. We've been a fan of your work for... Uh, I'd say years at this point, right? Oh. Yeah, a few years, um, for sure. Whenever we first came across um, Zhang Xu on the, uh, where was that? Was that on the convention hall floor? It must have been before I that. Believe I believe so. I, I um, think we saw it on Kickstarter. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, so we have been long admirers and we were dying to get the game onto the show. So we were thrilled to have recorded that episode, recorded that episode. Um, little strange uh, meta comment here. Not sure at time of recording which of these will come out first, but either the episode <laughs> will have aired and people will know what we're talking about or you have a great episode to look forward to. We'll get right into it, Banana. Could you tell us just a little bit about your background and history getting started with developing tabletop games um, and anything you have to say about sort of your background as a gamer? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, long story, <laughs> but I did get my start in uh, video games. I was like an avid player of video games. Mm-hmm. I uh, also came from art school. And so that those two things, I feel like come hand in hand where it's like, you know, a lot of people who are, uh, who go to art school, they play a lot of games. And during college, like I didn't really have a lot of time to devote to like, you know, board games or anything like that. But once I graduated, uh, I started going to conventions. You know, I had been going to conventions previously for like Comic-Con or uh, other types of video game conventions, but never anything that was like tabletop related. And so it wasn't until after college I started going to uh, board game conventions, uh, learning more about like board games and meeting more people in the industry. And from there, through a lot of networking, uh, essentially, I got really excited for board game publishing and just wanted to try it out and see how accessible it is. And it turns out at the time it was very accessible. Mm -hmm. It was uh, a lot cheaper to just manufacture like, you know, a thousand units of a board game uh, overseas uh, versus now where things are a little bit trickier just because of, uh, you know, the pandemic and, you know, everything that that came out of that, uh, things have been a little bit trickier. But previously, it was a little easier to do. Uh, Along with that, I was also getting into LARP. And so uh, I met a bunch of people at this convention, um, a series of conventions called like the Double Exposure Conventions. So they had Dexcon, Metatopia, Dreamation. uh, And I would attend those and meet a lot of different game designers, such as Jason Morningstar. And that's sort of where all of that started. Eventually, I wrote a LARP for the Golden Cobra Challenge because I was like, I I just want to try it out. Um, And it did really well. And it sort of gave me the confidence to write more and continue down that journey. So that's sort of where I got started. That's great. 
Where did you go to art school? NYU. I studied, uh, so I majored in video art and uh, I minored in cinema studies. Everyone thinks that I went to SVA and I was even in like the SVA freshman poster uh, because I had so many friends that went there and I would go to all of their parties. I think one time I even went to one of their classes. I just like hung out with them so much that everyone just assumed that I went to uh, SVA, which is the School of Visual Arts, which mm. honestly is only like a few blocks away from NYU. But I actually went to NYU. I was just like a sneaky, sneaky kid going to SVA classes. That's pretty wild. And just as a quick side note, mm. I actually went to art school as well, majored in, in uh, video, fo- focused <laughs> in video as well. So it's yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of parallels there. Back to the question of like, what got you into, you mentioned you were playing video games. Uh, and you were thinking, were you thinking about designing video games originally, or did you always know you wanted to design in a more, you know, quote unquote analog uh, space? Honestly, um, I think during my teen and early 20, 20s years, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like, even mm-hmm. in college, I just like didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I think even after graduation, I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Cause, like, you know, when you think about video art or when you think about like, you know, an arts degree in general, mm-hmm. it's sort of just like very nebulous. There isn't really much to go with, or at least for me, there wasn't a lot. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something that was very visual, but I just didn't have like a sense of like what I would be doing. And so the tabletop stuff didn't come until later where I was just like, oh, now it's clicking. Like, this is what I want to do. So I knew I always wanted to do something that was related to storytelling. I knew I wanted to do something that was like related to, you know, to to gaming somehow. Uh, but it wasn't until much later um, until I discovered that. Were there any particular uh, titles or games in the tabletop uh, storytelling sphere or RPG sphere that like caught your eye or, or sort of like inspired you to, to jump into that? Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I think the one that stands out the most is Jason Morningstar's Juggernaut. Mm. Um, And I'm not sure if you've all played it before. Uh, It's one of his lesser known titles, I think. Um, But it's basically, I think it's set in during the Cold War, I believe. I could be wrong, but... um, Basically, you're a bunch of scientists or politicians or, you know, people who work uh, for the military and you are stuck in a room together with a machine that tells the future. And so you're trying to figure out if this machine actually tells the future and spoiler alert, it does because you know from as people from the from the future um, that does tell, you know, truths about the future. And so basically um, the machine acts as a, a deck of cards acts as the machine. And so throughout the game, you're given these prompts. You're just like drawing in these prompts from this deck. And as you're going through it, uh, you're sort of just like trying to figure out whether or not certain things are going to happen. For example, you know, uh, globalization, is that actually going to be a thing? Or is this machine just like, you know, trying to manipulate us or whoever made this machine, are they trying to manipulate us? And so you're stuck in this room together until you can sort of like play out the entire uh, entire game. Uh, and in game terms, uh, you're trying to figure out if this machine actually is telling the truth. And so it's a lot of... Um, a lot of drama, a lot of political intrigue, that kind of thing. That's definitely one of the games that stuck with me the most because before that, um, and this is a LARP, by the way, before that, I didn't really understand that like 
games could be other things. Um, I always had the, the understanding that like a LARP or like an RPG was always fantasy based and it was always set in like, you know, uh, sort of like Dungeons and Dragons, right? right? That was sort of like the the idea that I had. And so once I started playing, um, you know, American Freeform LARPs, Black Box LARPs, Parlor LARPs, that's when I was like, oh, wow, there are other types of uh, genres and themes that could be integrated into, um, you know, these types of mechanics. And so that was something that was really eye-opening for me, alongside with Monster Hearts, of course, by Avery Alder. Like, that's definitely one of those games where I was just like, whoa, this is, uh, this is like just completely changing the game for me, pun intended. <laughs> so you clearly do that with your current design process, right? You, you, you are clearly finding um, stuff that is not just pure fantasy to to tackle and so could you talk to us a little bit about your current design process and your maybe how you approach a subject generate new ideas how do you know when a when a new idea is a good one that you should act on and and pursue yeah absolutely i think that um when i'm starting a game and uh by starting i mean like creating a game the first question that I always ask myself is, who was it for? And so I think that as creators, we tend to always want to have or try to want to create something that's new and exciting and, you know, something that's like never been done before. And also it has to be like artistically uh, artistically sound or, you know, something that's like very, uh, you know, that will make an impact, right? And I think that sometimes, uh, you know, I have to take a step back and be like, oh, okay, like it's okay to make a game that's for a mass market audience. Like it's okay if I do that because it's, you know, it, it's a different type of audience. It's going to be different from, you know, the stuff that the weirder stuff that I want to make, uh, and that's totally okay, right? So I think going in with an intention is really important. Uh, trying to figure out if this is going to be mass market versus like, is this going to be more of an indie thing? Is it going to be even indier than indie? Like, is it going to be like, you know, something that I'm just going to post on itch because I really want to have this out there. And so um, I usually start with that. And then from there, figure out like, you know, what are the important things I want to say about the game? Usually that stage happens when I am, you know, excited for making something that's for for myself, more or less, uh, something that's closer to what, uh, you know, what I want out of a game. And then it's a matter of like writing all this stuff down, marinating for like a couple of weeks, coming back to it and then uh, continuing that process. And I've had the pleasure of working with so many incredible people that I can use, you know, we can use one another as like soundboards. So it's just like, you know, do you think this idea is a good idea? Well, maybe, but let's, let's sit on this for a bit and then come back to it, you know, in a couple of days or something. And we'll keep talking about it from there. So I've been really lucky in that regard. Do you forefront any particular ethical concerns when you're thinking about establishing a way of representing a subject matter in your games? Sort of. So it depends on what the subject matter is. Um, so I think the more personal it is, uh, the more that I'm trying to reflect my own experience and the more that I know it's going to be like, a you know, I'll say, for example, like Forgery, right? Forgery is a very, um, is a game that's very personal to me. And so because of that, uh, I think that I'm trying to 
I'm trying to focus more on like, you know, my experience and that's sort of like the lens that it's going through versus like if it's John Shibble in the banquet hall, then, you know, obviously this is going to be a project that's going to take a lot of different voices because this game um, is something that deals with uh, Sen and I, our own uh, personal history um, or, you know, Asian American history, uh, Chinese American history, Chinese Canadian history. And so that's something that requires a lot of research and not just research, you know, in terms of like uh, reading through books or like, you know, uh, looking through papers, but also talking to other people and making sure that it's not just our voices that are involved. Because at the end of the day, we're not a monolith. We're trying to like, you know, include as many people as we can, uh, include as many different perspectives as we can. Um, but still try to tell a story in a way where we're including the players at the table to feel comfortable with handling the subject matter. So that means, you know, inviting on sensitivity consultants, uh, inviting mm. on uh, cultural consultants, historians to read through our work, um, and just to make sure that, you know, not only are we including a lot of different voices, but also making sure that there's nothing that we've missed. Uh, because one of the big oversights that we had when we were creating the game was, um, when we invited uh, James Mendez Hotz, he was like, this is awesome. However, uh, you are having, you are including like racist NPCs. And I think that players should know how to, how to handle that and how to play that uh, without hurting anyone at the table. And so we were just like, oh, wow, like, you're totally right. Like, we never, uh, we would have never thought about that. And so we worked together with Mendez to, uh, to basically create a whole set of rules and guidelines on how to approach that. And so, uh, you know, how to play a racist NPC, making sure that, you know, no one actually says anything hurtful or does anything hurtful at the table that would actually impact, like, the health of, uh, uh, of the players, uh, but rather, like, discuss that. Uh, describe what happens versus like saying what happens or sorry, just uh, acting it out. You know what I mean? There's like a difference between, you know, describing and acting it out. And so describing what happens uh, and making sure that, you know, everyone has safety tools uh, at the table, making sure that everyone has check-ins every so often. Uh, those are things that we had to, to talk to Mendes about for sure. Yeah. We were discussing for a long time, this I, I thing that you brought up. Implement, implementing racism as a game mechanic in Zhangxia, mm -hmm. which is something that's very interesting to say the least, <laughs> potentially unique. I don't know that I've ever heard of a game that in, intentionally does that in the way that Zhangxia does. And so can you say a little bit more about your choice to incorporate racism as a game mechanic and, and a, a major feature of the gameplay that happens and maybe some of the, the things that you hope players to take away from the experience of playing out racism or yeah. actually describing it and in the various ways that the game has people do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, when we're talking about this game, it's set in the 1920s, right? It's not like it's safe from racism. Like human history in general is not really safe from racism um, even today. And I think that it's something that we wanted to tackle um, in a safe way where players will feel like they have not just the ability to explore this theme, but also have the agency to know when to stop and 
uh, sort of explore it in a way where they feel comfortable with doing it. So the game is set in the 1920s and uh, it's coming out of the fallout of the Chinese Exclusion Act, right? Like there's a lot of the stuff that's going on in this world where uh, there are all these terrible things that are happening and we're now just like going through it. And I think that when we're talking about, you know, a setting like that, it would be unfair to exclude racism and exclude those conversations and those topics because that just sort of, you know, sugarcoats like all of the things that have happened in history. And so um, diving into that, uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, when an NPC shows up that is going to do something racist, we want to make sure that uh, that NPC, and it's usually always an NPC, it's never like, you know, a PC, uh, that the players, the PCs have the agency to talk back and fight back and, you know, you know, basically, like, have the agency to change the way that they have interacted with racism, in you know, in their regular lives, sort of like reenact that, but like, in a way that's like safe at the table. And so that was sort of the intention going in, I think, um, as we were designing this game, we realized that there were definitely things that players would do that we wouldn't intend for them to do. And so we needed to have more guidelines. We needed to have a little bit more structure around it, making sure that, you know, we have the X card, we have the O card. Um, I don't think the O card was introduced in this game, but uh, making sure we have the X card, we have lines and veils, we have, you know, uh, we have areas where players know that they're not going to, uh, going to go out of bounds but at the same time they you know can still explore these themes uh in a way that that you know makes sense to them and so i think like especially with an npc that's an antagonizer having the chance to say things to an npc that you know we we are framing this as like someone who is an antagonist we're framing this person as like a like a as someone who is going to be saying or doing not great things, it's okay for the PCs to like say something back and try to uh, try to overcome that. Uh, I think along with that, we also wanted that parallel of like the the Jiangshu themselves, like as they become Jiangshu, as like you know characters mm-hmm. become Jiangshu, as you know um, whether that's like PCs or NPCs, uh, as they become the Jiangshu, that's sort of like. A physical you know manifestation of the racism that happens and so you know having that as like this um it, it's a very on the nose metaphor but like i think that like you know having that metaphor there it sort of allows players to recognize that something isn't quite right here uh which i think a lot of horror does in general so we wanted to have that as well your comments there put me in mind of another subject i wanted to touch on so i, I guess i'll ask you about this now uh, but several of your games, or several of the games you've worked on, um, do incorporate horror, right? Or engage with the horror genre of storytelling in some way. Is there something about horror or what is it about horror maybe in particular? Um, or maybe the experience of playing a horror game around a table or enacting one as a LARP that attracts you as a designer? Is it this facility it has for using the supernatural to engage sensitive subjects like racism or... I'm thinking of like the game Bluebeard's Bride, which deals with like gendered violence in in this similar kind of way. Yeah, I think that horror explores themes and topics that we typically don't touch. I actually just remembered this. A big touchstone and big influence for Joshua was uh, 
movies like Get Out Mm. um, and movies and media that sort of are able to talk about subjects that we typically don't talk about, but placing that anxiety through a horror lens. um, I think that's very cathartic for a creator. And I hope it's cathartic for the people that are playing the game as well. But I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to it is because, you know, there are all these things that we are kind of nervous about talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, they somehow become taboo in themselves because we don't want to talk about it. But the longer that we sort of let it fester, the more it seems like it needs to have an outlet and it needs to sort of get included in the conversation and i think that's one of the reasons why i'm so attracted to horror as a as a Mm -hmm. genre i I, you know i'd love to hear about like it is such an it's such a um a unique as jordan said like a unique approach to a historical subject through play um and is so thoughtful and incorporates all of these safety features and all of these guidelines you know for players to do it safely together to explore these topics i'd be curious to hear from you about your experience of the reception uh, of this game amongst um, the industry for sure, but also like players or even testers while you were developing it. Um, but, you know, it got coverage in like Huffington Post, for instance. So like, you know, you, you had this moment where a bunch of people were reacting to this quite um, unique design that you two had in- endeavored in uh, upon making. I'd be just curious to hear from you a little bit about your experience of how that effort has been received. I think that our game isn't the only one uh coincidentally you know i think that this is something that like a lot of creators were thinking about uh during the time that it was made Mm. um it was made around the same time uh i think it was like 2018 when it first when we first started talking about it so um this is just to provide a little bit of context as to you know why we wanted to do this at the time i was at a lot of different conventions where i would play games where there would be asian themes that were not uh they were not by asian people um and the games weren't necessarily very respectful in some capacity like i i would play them i would come out of it and just feel just kind of uh, annoyed and angry and it sort of like ate away at me. And so that's one of the reasons why Junction exists is because, you know, I wanted to see more representation uh, in a way that I felt excited for, right? And so Sana and I were talking about it um, and that's sort of one of the reasons why it exists now. And I think at the same time, other games have sort of come out of it right like uh and and i can't say on behalf of like other creators but i get the feeling that maybe something similar has happened where you know we have into the motherlands we have coyote and crow like Mm -hmm. these kinds of games all sort of happened around the same time and it's mostly to do with like like trying to explore these themes of representation in a capacity where you know we want to be heard we want to have like you know a little bit of uh of what we do front and center and so i think that was the intention for like us and uh again can't say on behalf of like other creators but i get the feeling that maybe they have done something similar Mm -hmm. where you know we just wanted something that you know is ours 
in in this industry. And so going off of that, the reception was amazing. Like everyone was very positive. Everyone was like very kind. And uh, we did get a lot of feedback, which we integrated into the game itself. So, you know, we took a lot of people's feedback. There was a little bit of concern from uh, the Asian community, I think, in the UK, uh, because racism still is very fresh, like specifically Asian uh uh, Asian racism over there is still very fresh. And so like they were concerned that, you know, this game is going to be racist mm. when in actuality it's a reaction against racism. Um, and so I think that uh, that was something we had to uh, sort of navigate and explain like, you know, this is something that we're creating as a result of, uh, you know, Chinese Canadian, Chinese American history. And, you can adapt it to your own sort of experience. However, first and foremost, it is about the Chinese Canadian slash Chinese American experience. And so we had to talk about that to, uh, I think, one person who was a backer. But other than that, I think a majority of it has been very uh, has been very good. Obviously, we get like troll comments here and there. But mm -hmm. when you see a troll comment, you sort of like ignore it or you just like laugh yeah. about it and just you know walk off and try to do your own find thing. a way to take it as a compliment rather than as an insult w would it be fair to say that you're sort of leveraging existing tropes and game mechanics to sort of mechanically empower your players to confront topics like racism and other very serious subjects in in these tabletop games yeah, so I would say that, so I know that we talked about racism a lot um, today, but I don't think the game is actually about racism. I think the game is actually more about like family dynamics and, uh, you know, what it looks, what does, you know, intergenerational trauma look like? Um, I think that's more of, uh, of what the game is about. And also, you know, a lot of the the trauma that the the family experiences happens to be racism, um, and it also happens to be oppression of the time. It also happens to be you know like uh, all of these terrible things that have happened to Asian Americans during that time. But I think at the end of the day, it's still sort of about like family dynamics. What does each individual family member want? What are their hopes and dreams? A younger person in the family might want something you know, more for themselves, like a different career or, um, you know, something completely different from what the rest of the, the family wants owning this restaurant. But what their hopes and dreams might be for, you know, the parents, it could be that they want, you know, their child to do something, you know, like take over the restaurant. So it's sort of like that conversation about as immigrant families, what is the stuff like what are we putting the most emphasis on when it comes to our own family around the people around us you know what is uh what drives us to wake up every day and like continue working um which i think is also another reason why this resonated with a lot of uh, people from immigrant families and mm. not just you know chinese american families or chinese american players uh that are that were at our table thank you for recentering the family as the sort of central part yeah. of of our consideration of Zhangshu, because it is easy to to latch on to what is most unique about it. And in this case, we're sort of trying to highlight that the racism as game mechanic felt more unique than perhaps any other part of the game in, in certain ways. But um, 
you know, recentering that family piece and the sort of complexities around that mm. is, I think, an important reminder. So thank you for that. And going off of that, do you think that there is something about the affordances that is provided by specifically tabletop role-playing games rather than, let's say, a board game or a video game or a film that allows you to deal with sort of the complex tapestry that surrounds that subject matter of intergenerational familial-based trauma? Yes, absolutely. I think um, so. This is also another inspiration point, I think, from a lot of the other games I played previously, where uh, there would be a lot of games, specifically in LARP, that deal with uh, that that deal with like complex relationships and also deal with navigating trauma and strange personal history. Yeah, I think. <laughs> sorry, that took me a while to like think of like what. Uh, what exactly like an American freeform LARP is. Um, but for those of you who don't know, like, you know, uh, to provide context, uh, American, free <laughs> American freeform LARP is sort of branched off of, um, it's inspired by the Nordic style of play in LARP. And so uh, when we're talking about the Nordic style of play, it's very emotional. It's very based around like the relationships that you, uh, that you have with other people. Sometimes, oftentimes actually you dress up and uh it's very taxing stressful and mm -hmm. just like uh it's sort of like a it pushes your boundaries a lot um obviously over the last few years uh it's gotten a lot safer um previously people would be like sleep deprived and they would like push you to be sleep deprived and like you know do all these uh these wow. wild things uh as a mechanic you know in the mm -hmm. game and uh it, it's sort of like an experience like it's an experience that you go through right with that style of larp now it's a lot safer people like you know make sure that you are uh you're hydrated and you're sleeping and you know taking care of your body and making sure that you tap out if you need to it's like the stanford prison experiment <laughs> or something like that it's wild they took a lot of some larps i'm not going to name which ones but like previously some older ones they have taken <laughs> inspiration from uh from wow. Wow. from things like that and so um now like you know the last 10 years we've seen uh nordic larps uh really um really just try to take care of the players and so um that's uh that's one style of LARP. American Freeform was actually designed around the convention setting because um, a lot of the players, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of money. And so we have to go to conventions to meet up with our friends and play these weird games. And, you know, oftentimes, if you're living in the Midwest, you're probably not going to be able to find someone who's like excited for uh, for a strange LARP where you're sitting in a room <laughs> pretending to be, you know, siblings that are, you know, fighting over your parents inheritance or something like that anyway um so uh, american freeform larp is uh designed around a convention setting so that means that they're typically two to four hours long um you don't have to dress up you just like you know come as you are the themes of the games are usually very uh centered around like you know strange relationships oftentimes familial relationships um high stakes drama just like very intense scenes um and i think that uh it's it's sort of where i learned a lot about like you know role play mm. and a lot of the mechanics that um that we have i think in Zhangshu or any sort of like modern tabletop role playing game 
it, it does sort of come from that school of thought where it's like, you know, we want to explore these themes. We want to explore like, you know, uh, strange relationships between family members. Uh, we want to explore like, you know, all this stuff. Uh, but how do we do that in a game where we feel safe and it feels cathartic and it feels good afterwards? Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's bleed, let's explore that bleed. Um, and for context, bleed is uh, feelings after the, the game. So like, you know, you might have these lingering feelings. Um, bleed in general isn't good or bad it's just you know um sort of like a thing that happens afterwards so bleed can be uh sadness bleed can be anger bleed can be you know joy right uh these are all just like you know the feelings that come out of uh playing a role-playing game and so i i think i owe a lot of my design uh you know in general like any sort of design that i do to uh american freeform larp um and in turn some of nordic larp as well Mm. uh and that evolution yeah thinking really carefully about like how emotionally taxing and involved these experiences can be and profound but then providing a kind of like thoughtful framework for exploring those things safely that's Mm -hmm. clearly something that's sitting behind the design of jungshu which allows one to you know, for instance, for me uh, to situate themselves as like a grandmother of a family. Um, and I experienced, you know, my experience was characterized not so much by some of the tensions of the present, but I was thinking, I've, I felt like my source of trauma, or if I was going to call it that, or the thing that, that my character was bummed about was a profound sense of dislocation. You know, I couldn't really speak to people outside of my family or my immediate community. My language skills were pretty low, you know, on the English side and all that kind of stuff. So I felt very much sort of out of place, you know, um, which is a different but also powerful uh, sort of emotion uh, from feeling like attack. All right, so we're running up on time here. So you want to transition yeah. maybe a little bit, Jordan? Sure. And we don't yeah. want to be careful not to keep you too long. This um, last little chunk, maybe. Yeah, oh, so, I could talk about LARP forever. <laughs> yeah, well, um, maybe you will a bit here. I mean, it would be curious to hear uh, what you're working on now. So what are some things you're working on now or some things you're excited about now that maybe you're not working on, but you're watching with, uh, with interest? Um, anything, yeah. any new directions that you're excited about? Yes, absolutely. Um, For stuff I'm working on now, uh, I just wrapped up the campaign for Forgery. So that's the first game that I'm actually doing solo. Um, So it's all my design, all my writing. Um, And yeah, I'm definitely working with like other people with like stretch goals. So I've been uh, working with Austin Austin Taylor on like sort of like a mini game um, for the... The game itself uh for context it's a solo horror rpg that is a journaling game and it also has paint by numbers and it's about mm. like a disgruntled art forger who uh is very down on her luck and eventually um she gets commissioned to recreate like a curse painting and so oh, wow. um that's uh that's something i'm really excited for um no context which is a party game it's uh, a little bit more mass market, but it's not like, you know, to the point where uh, it's going to shelves in Target or Walmart. Um, <laughs> that is, uh, that's now out. It's a party game about like, you know, uh, interpreting pictures with other pictures. So guessing people's mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. images with other images. Cool. Uh, so it's sort of like Dixit. In terms of games that I'm excited for that other people have made, a uh, big fan of Vizitia Valetti, who uh, recently created Space Goblins was one of them, which is really cool. Uh, Space Goblins is a, um, he frames this as as a kid's game, but I feel like 
adults can play it too, uh, where yeah. you're goblins in space and you're just a menace and you are crashing your ship into other people's ships to scavenge all of their parts and just like make your ship bigger. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the main mechanics is that is like using Lego pieces to like build out your ship so it gets bigger oh, and bigger. Cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and yeah, just is overall. Is there a dexterity component there? Uh, no, I don't think there is. Okay. Uh, I'll read the, reread the rules and <laughs> double okay, check, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't think there is. You could house um, something, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But in general, very big fan of his work. Um, and yeah, very excited for Big Bad Con. Uh, every time I'm there, I just like, you know, find something new. Um, and I'm just honestly right now, I'm most excited for like live action online games. Um, mm. uh, the acronym for that is LAUG. And so um, Alice is Missing is a LAUG. Um, uh, I think the term was coined uh, a while ago. But uh, basically, it's, you know, anything that utilizes a digital platform or your phone. Uh, or something else as uh, the main vehicle for storytelling. So like Alice is Missing is an example. Uh, View Scream is an example. Yeah, there's several different games that use this. So I'm very excited for that style of game. Uh, and I'm hoping that I get to play more of them soon. So should we switch to the rapid fire round? Yeah, so we like, we like to end these interviews with a little rapid fire round of short sort of fun questions. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, so first question uh, is, is a, good, a good starter. It's an easy one. What is the last game that you played? Pokemon the TCG. <laughs> <laughs> great, excellent. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I, I just got into Magic the Gathering. It's a problem already. Yeah, it is a um, problem for the bank account for sure. <laughs> what is your personal favorite game oh that's a hard question mm. yes. okay so uh my one of my favorite games is uh as we know it by uh avon who designed this game for the golden cobra challenge and uh, this was a while ago uh but basically it is a game where you are texting on your phone the entire time and you are supposed to sit in a dark closet so you don't see any other people uh and you're huh. pretending that there's an alien invasion and you've been there for days and you're just like trapped oh, wow. in the closet amazing that sounds yeah. <laughs> slightly similar but different twist not your personal favorite but what is in your estimation maybe the best game that you've ever played oh, but maybe you didn't enjoy it that much but from a design perspective you could appreciate it oh gosh this is also a very hard question oh i gotta think about this one um the one that's coming to mind first Okay, so there's this one that comes to mind that is kind of silly, which was uh, my friend John Stavropoulos, he invented the X card, uh, where he <laughs> did this one game where it was Shadowrun, like first edition, and then we go forward in time, and it's like Shadowrun, like the current edition that it was, I forget yeah. which edition it was at the time, but we like go back and forth a lot. Oh. Um, and so we kept like going between character sheets and like changing the mechanics that way, mm. which I thought was interesting. In theory, I think it's really cool. And I love stuff like that. Like that's, that's amazing. Uh, in practice, it was very difficult to play out, mm. but in theory, I think it's very cool. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. All right, I think the rest of our questions are much easier than those. <laughs> okay, so. thank God. Okay. <laughs> Co-op or competitive? 
Uh, depends on the style of play. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Or it depends on the themes too. Yeah. Mm. Good. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite snack for board game day or role play day, as the case may be? Ooh, uh, I like beverages more mm. than having a snack because my fingers get grubby and sure. I have like gross <laughs> fingers. Um, what are you so, sipping on? Yeah, mostly lattes. I'm a latte, nice. Nice. latte nice. fan. So mm-hmm. yeah. What do you want to see more of in games? I want to see more games that deal with horror comedy. I am a huge horror comedy fan. And uh, yeah, that and also more lags in general. Live action online games, very much into that. Uh, let's have another Alice is Missing soon because I need it. Okay. Uh, what do you want to see less of in games? <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know how to do this without throwing shade. Fewer. Uh, I-, I would like to see. So you know how there's always that trend of like, if it's zombies, it's pirates. If it's not pirates, it's like wizards. If it's not wizards, it's something else. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to see less of that. <laughs> like, less right. games are about that all right what's your dream meeple shape meeple of anything what would it be you know be really funny um a gelatinous cube <laughs> like <laughs> oh, i think right, it's just yeah. the cube <laughs> really funny um yeah does it have i think it'd be give? funny does it have a little give to it is it a... oh yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah okay. yeah it has to it has it's to gelatinous. be like yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay that's great you bump the table and it rocks <laughs> uh okay if you could see any subject matter turned into a game but you didn't have to be responsible for doing that what would it be so i love movies uh and i love television so i would love to see something that emulates a um like you know those like dark true crime (laughs) types of game or Mm -hmm. types of uh, movies or television like Mm -hmm. something like that that has like that documentary lens to it i would love to play a game where it's like we're going into a documentary sort of like i don't know uh what was it like the third episode of black mirror where it's like um you know they set out to make a documentary and then Mm. no spoilers but a lot of things happen there are like murders and things uh something like that in a game but i don't want to do the mechanics and i don't want to design for it (laughs) (laughs) okay so if you could see any game adapted into some other cultural form like novel play film a painting whatever you want right Mm -hmm. what game would that be and what cultural form would it take on Oof! Is saying my own sort of like a cheat? Like, do it. No, okay. no, 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 please. Yeah. <laughs> if there was like a Joshua TV show, I would be all over yeah. that. Me too. Uh, yeah. I, I was kind of hoping you would say that. Live action or animated? Uh, live action. I, okay. I prefer okay. live action. Yeah. Um, but I, I think animated would make sense for something else. So like, I think maybe live action would make sense for like potentially forgery or Revenant Society. That That could be animated, I think. Okay, here's an easy one. Dice or cards? That's not easy. That is definitely not easy. I like both. <laughs> Choose your random generator. Yeah. Is it a dice or a card? Oh, if it's a random a generator, then dice for sure. Uh, okay. But if it's um, integrating them into a game, I like both. All right, final question. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the only piece of advice, but what is one piece of advice you'd offer an aspiring game designer? I think make a lot of stuff. 
so write as much as you can uh you know just get it all out there even if you think it's like terrible and it probably is going to be terrible like the first few drafts like you know it's okay if it is uh just the practice of writing it down is helpful because you're you're just exercising that muscle. Can I put in like another piece of advice, which I think mm-hmm, like please. people don't talk about a lot, which is networking. Um, mm. Unfortunately, networking is very important. I know that it's like very hard for introverts. Like, uh, I mean, I'm an ambivert, but like, I think that it is uh, still very difficult for me, mm-hmm. but uh, it's important because that's sort of how you get your stuff out there yeah. uh, and build your career. And uh, having that combination of like, a large body of work and you know a lot of stuff uh to back it up you'll be able to you know it's easier for you to get into those meetings with publishers and get things uh get things signed off thank you so much yeah well thank you once again for joining us this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hear about your process and your uh background um and yeah this has been great yeah thank you so much for having me we appreciate your work Mm. so thank you very much for doing what you do and for being as careful as you have been with the way you take on very ambitious projects. And we both look forward to playing the games that you're working on now. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was course. a pleasure being here. And hopefully we will meet again at some point. You said you're not going to um, India in August, right? You're not going to be there? Uh, I'll be at Gen Con for a day. Just for a day. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Yeah. What was this? Uh, I didn't want to interrupt your flow. What, Big Bad Con. What is this con you mentioned? Oh, I love Big Bad Con. Okay, so... Uh, do we have time to plug this convention <laughs> real quick? Sure, yeah, we can put okay. this in. Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, Big Bad Con is a convention that happens every year in San Francisco, and uh, it's a smaller convention. However, a lot of industry people go there, uh, and a lot of uh, big names from actual plays, live streams, like they attend as oh. well, uh, including Matt Mercer from last year. So Matt Mercer attended last year. Uh, a lot of people from Wizards attend, uh, P- uh, Paizo, uh, various different companies. And the great thing about Big Bad Con is that they have a POC scholarship and they also have another oh, cool. scholarship for uh, creators, uh, usually like, you know, creators who are just starting out in their careers uh, from marginalized backgrounds. And so uh, for the POC scholarship, they do a few things. Uh, The first thing that they do is they have um, a dinner. So all of the the scholars, all of, uh, and anyone who wants to attend who's like um, uh, a POC, they get to attend and uh, they get to network and like, you know, mingle uh, through this dinner. The second thing that I have is a meet and greet. So it's sort of like a networking opportunity for everyone where, specific uh, creators, especially if they're still starting out, uh, they get to get paired up with uh, with companies or, um, you know, people who uh, are looking for freelancers, publishers, that sort of thing. Or even if you're looking for a mentorship, um, mm. that's like another part of it. So that's uh, that's sort of like the the way that Big Bad Con runs. They're very focused on giving back to the community, trying to, you know, have, uh, have more creators, uh, get leveled up uh and i believe they also have this run on sunday and the sunday run um i'm not sure if it has money involved or something anyway uh i know that the proceeds eventually go to a a charity organization so any yeah any sort of like money that they that they get from uh from the convention itself because it's also like a, a uh, I think it's like a charity organization in itself. Uh, the proceeds from that go to, I think previously it was Doctors Without Borders. I don't know what the, the oh, current charity yeah. is, but uh, yeah, so they do a lot of uh, charity work in general. 
Awesome. We'll have to check that out, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been Subject Matter Tabletop. We'll see you around the table. Hi, before we cut to music, Banana sent us one short clip after we spoke. Just a couple more shout outs of games that inspired Jiangshu. Uh, so I just wanted to quickly mention Haunted West as well as Harlem Unbound from Chris Spivey, aka Darker Hue Studios. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that, um, you know, around the same time as Jiangshu, the Islands of Sina Una came out as well, which is a, a 5e book that's inspired by the Filipino mythos. Mm-hmm.